This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. When one of South Africa's biggest characters, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, died on Boxing Day, he was remembered as a champion for freedom and equality who made things happen for the troubled nation. In this Squiz Shortcut, we look back at Tutu's early life, his role in the anti-apartheid movement and his legacy both at home and abroad. Squiz Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Eliza Harvey. And I'm Claire Kimball. This is our first shortcut back for 2022, and one of the big stories over the Christmas break was the death of South African Archbishop Desmond Tutu. So let's get into it. Desmond Tutu was born in 1931 in a small gold mining town in the northwest Transvaal region, about 130 kilometres outside the country's biggest city of Johannesburg. That's right in the middle of Boer country. Yeah, and in fact, it was the first Boer settlement in that part of South Africa. And just to explain, the Boers were of Dutch or German descent. Uh, in more recent times, descendants of the Boers are called Afrikaners. And it's an understatement to say that they had a very fractious relationship with black communities. Yeah, and the Afrikaners are central to the apartheid movement. We'll get into that in a minute. But for the young Desmond Tutu, he decided to follow his father's professional lead and studied teaching at university. He graduated from the University of South Africa in 1954 and he worked for three years as a high school teacher. He then abandoned that in protest uh, against a a raft of racist laws that had been introduced uh, that saw the segregation come into schools and universities. And the mid-1950s were an important time for Tutu personally. Yeah, in 1955, he married Normaliza Leah Shenzane. She was also a teacher uh, and she had trained as a nurse and she was an activist who represented domestic workers' rights. So the couple went on to have four children. And after Tutu left teaching, he studied theology. He was introduced to the church when he was a teenager through a friendship with a British Anglican priest named Father Trevor Huddleston. And after his studies, Tutu was ordained as an Anglican priest in 1960, but he wasn't done with the books yet. No, he studied theology in the UK and he went backwards and forwards between Africa and Britain to further his religious education. And in 1975, he was appointed to the very coveted role uh, of the Dean of St Mary's Cathedral in Johannesburg. He was the first black man to hold that position and at the time it was one of the very few racially integrated churches in the city. Tutu rose through the ranks and ultimately became the Archbishop of Cape Town from 1986 to 1996, another position that had never been held by a black man. And in his senior church roles, he had a platform to campaign against apartheid. Let's look at that now. Claire, let's start with a bit of background about what was happening in South Africa during that period, particularly the policy of apartheid. It was introduced by the National Party-led government in 1948. So apartheid is the African word for apartness. Uh, And to put it really simply, what it called for was the separate development of the different racial groups in South Africa. And defenders of apartheid said that the policy called for equal development and freedom of cultural expression. But of course, what we know is that it was anything but equal. 
Oh, yeah, it was institutional racism on a scale Mm. that made South Africa an international pariah for decades. Racial groups were made to live separately. Interracial marriage was banned. Put simply, only white people in South Africa were free. Uh, Others had to carry papers to justify where they were and what they were doing there. Black people couldn't vote. Public facilities and social events were segregated. uh, And what employment and education opportunities you had really depended on your place in the racial pecking order. And that order was white citizens at the top. They had the highest status, followed by Asians and coloureds. And they're a multiracial ethnic group native to South Africa. And then black South Africans at the bottom. And unsurprisingly, there were protests against those laws and the government responded with police brutality, uh, which in turn increased black support for the resistance. And at the front of that resistance was the African National Congress, the ANC. And right from the start, its leaders believed that white authority could only be overthrown through mass and, if necessary, violent campaigns. That's right. And enter anti-apartheid revolutionaries, including Nelson Mandela, uh, who were committed to the overthrow of the state. And because of that, he was sentenced to life in prison in 1962. There were many, many more who were detained and killed during their fight against apartheid. And then enter Desmond Tutu, who stepped into the role of his country's most prominent opponent of apartheid because of all those black leaders who were in jail. Tutu, though, for his part, was slowish to take on that public role in the fight against apartheid. He'd been rising fast through the church ranks, as we've discussed, and he had been preaching against apartheid, but he only became the face of the anti-apartheid campaign after the Soweto uprising of 1976. That saw thousands of black students march in protest and police opened fire and they killed hundreds of those students. So after that, Tutu became the most prominent and the most most articulate spokesman uh, for South Africa's black majority. Yeah, and he took a different tact to the leadership of the ANC because he wasn't a fan of violent protests. He backed economic boycotts and also campaigns of civil disobedience. He never explicitly condemned that armed struggle and there was a bit of controversy about that, Uh, but he saw that economic pressure was the best means of dismantling apartheid. And during the late 70s and 80s, he led huge protest marches and denounced apartheid in fiery speeches across the globe. And he was described by then President P.W. Bota as public enemy number one. Somehow, though, he stayed out of jail. Yeah, and that's because of his international stature. He toured internationally. He called on Western nations to impose sanctions on South Africa. And in 1984, he won the Nobel Peace Prize. And it was that profile and his anti-violence stance that saw him safe from that fate that was met by other campaigners, particularly those from the ANC. And all of that was very political for obvious reasons. The one thing we know about the church and state, though, is that they don't mix well. That is very true, but Tutu was such a force. And remember, of course, the world had denounced South Africa for their policy of apartheid, so he had a lot of support. Uh, For example, at Tutu's installation as the Archbishop of Cape Town in 1986, the head of the Anglican Church, the Archbishop of Canterbury, he attended that and he also spoke against apartheid and in support of Nelson Mandela. So it was quite a thing at the time. 
And Claire, long story short, apartheid was dismantled by new President F.W. de Klerk in 1990. Nelson Mandela was released from jail and the ban on the ANC and other anti-apartheid groups was lifted. But that wasn't the end of things. And again, Desmond Tutu was front and centre of everything. Let's get into that next. One of the things we've heard many people say since Tutu's death is that he was the conscience of the nation, and that came about not just in his campaigning against apartheid, but also in the period afterwards. Yeah, most notably, he was chairman of the pioneering Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and that urged South Africans, white and black, to repent for the crimes uh, that they had committed during that apartheid era. So put simply, the victims of those gross human rights violations were invited to give statements about their experiences, and the perpetrators could also give testimony and request amnesty uh, from both civil and criminal prosecution. Not all of those perpetrators were given amnesty, of course, and South Africans' views on whether that commission was successful or not largely depended on your personal experience of the apartheid period. Yeah, but it was groundbreaking and that reconciliation approach is now seen as a successful way of dealing uh, with human rights violations after political change. And in those efforts, Tutu was in lockstep with Mandela. Uh, They both believed that it was a way to unite and heal the nation. Uh, Without forgiveness, Tutu said, there is no future. Yeah, those famous words there. But it didn't mean that he gave Mandela and those at the front of the ANC-led government a free pass though, Claire. Absolutely not. He was very quick to condemn their transgressions. So the first election to include the citizens of all races in South Africa was held in 1994 and it was won by the ANC with Mandela to go on to be president and the party was caught up in some early scandals and Tutu said that the party's leaders had, and this is the quote, stopped the gravy train just long enough to get on it themselves. Wow, that's pretty tough there from him. However, Tutu continued in his role as an activist for causes he cared deeply about, and one of those was gay rights. Yeah, that's right. In 2013, he launched a gay rights campaign in South Africa, and of course that's a country where the HIV and AIDS virus is rampant. He notably said, I would refuse to go to a homophobic heaven, and he said that he was as passionate about promoting gay rights as he was about bringing down apartheid. More recently, his daughter was forced to leave the clergy in order to marry her female partner in the Netherlands. Tutu was at that ceremony and he gave the couple a father's blessing. And Tutu was also an ardent critic of the Iraq war. He argued that the US and UK-led assault on Saddam Hussein's regime in 2003 had brought about conditions that led to the Syrian civil war in 2011. He felt so strongly about it that he pulled out of an African peace summit that included former British Prime Minister Tony Blair. He also wasn't a fan of American President George W. Bush. He wrote op-eds accusing the pair of lying about the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, and he wanted the men to be tried for war crimes at the International Court in The Hague. Yeah, well, he certainly got some zingers and he wasn't afraid of speaking truth to power, that's for sure. He died on Boxing Day on the 26th of December at 90 years of age. And reports say he was diagnosed with prostate cancer in the late 90s. And in recent years, he was hospitalised for infections associated with that cancer treatment. One thing that got a lot of attention was his request for what was to be done to his body. Yeah, he was 
aquamated. I have no idea what that is and I might regret (laughs) asking what it is. What does that involve? So what happens is the body is immersed for three to four hours in a mixture of water and potassium hydroxide. It's put in a pressurised metal cylinder and heated to around 150 degrees Celsius. That whole process liquefies everything except for the bones. The bones are then dried in an oven and reduced to a white dust and placed in an urn. Wow, well, that is certainly a memorable and perhaps cheery way to end what has been a remarkable life of Desmond Tutu. On to our recommendations. I'll start off. Um, I'm going to recommend a US 60-minute story from 1997 about that Truth and Reconciliation Commission, Claire, that you mentioned earlier. Tutu is interviewed about the machinery behind the commission and his attempts to both persuade black people that amnesty didn't necessarily amount to absolving of sins and to white people that they were being given an incredible opportunity to repent for the vicious violence of the past. Yeah, such a groundbreaking process, that one. Uh, For me, it's a reminder of what a great book Nelson Mandela's Long Walk to Freedom is. It's well worth a read if you haven't got across that one. Uh, Both he and Tutu were incredible men. Yeah, they really were. Thanks for listening in. If you like what you heard, please tell people about our shortcuts. They're also available in written form on our website. You could leave us a review or share a link on socials. Just spreading the word helps us to grow. And there are plenty more episodes for you to have a listen to. So get into that as we ramp up for 2022. Until next time. 